0: It appears the money train has rolled out on each party's campaign platform. In the pursuit of your vote, all parties are willing to spend to get your support at the ballot box. But which one do you feel will help the most? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. Less than three weeks before we go to the polls and we're getting a clearer look at how each party plans to get the economy back on track. Our unpublished.vote question asks, which party do you feel has the best plan to get the economy rolling again? The Liberals, the Conservatives, the NDP, the Green Party or the People's Party of Canada? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. Now it seems the parties have hauled out all their trinkets to get your attention. National childcare program, income tax on the ultra wealthy, create 1 million jobs or a national electricity corridor. They're all on the table for you to consider. Now, to get a better perspective on whether any will actually help the economy, we'll get uh, the advice and expertise from a number of people coming up. Jasmine Gannett is with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and he will join us. But first, I'm pleased to be joined by Mark Agnew. He is the Senior Vice President of Policy and Government Relations with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. And Mark, does the Chamber feel that the parties are focusing on the economy now?
1: Um, well, as much as there's been uh, sprinkles of the economy in the platforms, uh, you know certainly it hasn't been a, a predominant focus in the headlines. Um, I mean, I think we've seen a lot around, you know, healthcare. We've seen a lot on, you know, vaccine passports, which I guess you know does have a link to the economy. And certainly, Afghanistan has been front and center. We still have, as you said, a couple of weeks left in the campaign, and we also have two more leaders' debates left to go. And so we're really hoping, actually, that that can be a chance to flush out some of these economic issues in more detail.
0: You know, we look at uh, a number of the promises, and we'll start with one, the Conservatives promising to create 1 million jobs. Now, let's face it, 1 million jobs would be terrific, and it sounds simple, but is it just platitudes, or is there a direct plan to get 1 million people employed?
1: Well, I mean, all the parties have quite long, you know, platforms. And I know the, the conservative platform is no exception, you know, to that. You know, I think once we actually see, you know, the political parties and whoever does win and get into the office, then, you know, the rubber hits the ground pretty quickly on what they actually, you know, have to deliver. And I think, you know, the math and the arithmetic, you know, we haven't had a chance to go through all the party platforms in, you know, full detail yet. But there are a lot of things that we think will certainly be critical to creating jobs. I mean, one of the biggest things for us is actually going to be for the new government to take on support for the hardest hit sectors. The current legislation runs out in November, actually. Uh, and so we do want to see an extension, for instance, of the wage and rent subsidy support programs.
0: Uh, national child care program that's been uh, introduced, what's been talked about quite a bit. But uh, how does that create jobs? Are we just talking about people working in, in the child care setting? Or is this about getting more women back into the workforce in general?
1: Um, It is about, you know, getting more women back into the workforce setting. Um, You know, the approach that, you know, the Chamber has taken is that, well, certainly a national childcare program will help, uh, you know, a large segment of the population. There are other types of businesses that, you know, particularly female-owned entrepreneurs and SMEs um, that may not actually be looking for that traditional, you know, Monday to Friday, you know, 7.30 to 4.30 childcare arrangement. And so certainly what we've been hoping to see from the parties is actually, um, you know, tax credits for uh, small and medium-sized uh, business owners and other sole proprietors that can actually um, have ways to deduct some of their childcare expenses off. Because again, they're not looking necessarily for center-based daycare, although, you know, some people are looking for that
0: arrangement. Yeah, that seems to be a, a, you know, a bit of the issue with that is it's – certainly in, in the way it was introduced, the National childcare Care Program would only help a certain segment of the population. Because let's face it, we're, we're in a 24-7 economy, seven days a week. Uh, it isn't 9 to 5 Monday to Friday anymore. And is that where tax breaks come in better for everybody as opposed to, uh, you know, the lock, stock, barrel, one system?
1: Well, it's going to be, I think, a grab bag. I mean, if you're in a more typical, you know, white collar office environment, then yeah, I think having a, a, you know, a childcare space can be something that uh, would be more fitting for your circumstances. But as you said, if you're a, an entrepreneur who's not perhaps working, you know, conventional nine to five hours, um, or maybe you're actually in a, you know, type of job that's more in the service industry where a, a daycare center doesn't provide options for you, then yeah, I mean, there do need to be other things that are on the table, because it is a, not a one size fits all approach. And we're seeing that I think more and more so going forward, given uh the other changes in you know, the economy and work patterns.
0: You know, the NDP talks about a tax on on the ultra wealthy. The liberals talk about a minimum tax or tax rule for the for the rich. Now, do these types of plans we're targeting the ultra wealthy actually produce sizable revenue, or is it just more an optics and low-hanging fruit?
1: Well, I think anytime you're going, uh, you know, after individuals, there's always going to be, you know, certain, you know, tax strategies that people will undertake to be able to, uh, you know, mitigate the tax bill that they're going to pay. Um, you know, the Canadian Chamber is a little bit less focused on individuals and much more so on the business, uh, you know, side of it. And what we have said on the business side of it, at least, is that there should be a commitment by the parties to no new taxes that are uh, being implemented, particularly when we're still in this recovery stage. <laughs>
0: One one of the other points that uh, we had talked about uh, that's be- being put on the on the table, national electricity corridor. Now, is c- could it possibly work? Considering the province always provinces always seem to be protecting their own realm, and, and you know we've seen that with pipelines, have we not?
1: Well, I mean, I'm far from an expert on the electricity corridor. Uh, you know, grids. But certainly, um, you know, that's not been something that we've been hearing a lot from our members Mm -hmm. uh, on the infrastructure side. I think what we've been hearing particularly is around uh, what we call sort of trade enabling infrastructure, um, and also digital infrastructure. So we have a lot of, um, you know, communities where people want to have high speed internet connectivity. And that's kind of infrastructure that, you know, we think should be, you know, focusing on as well as, you know, the things that help move goods to market, whether it's in, you know, the rail ports, or the um, airport space as well.
0: Uh, You know, uh, I I see the chamber sees a missed opportunity for the parties. Nobody seems to be addressing the issue of uh, the minerals that Canada has. And, And what is the chamber's concern about that? So we have
1: um, a whole whack of, uh, you know, critical and rare earth minerals that are in the ground here in Canada. And there's also then a, a global demand uh, issue where there's an over-reliance on China right now. Um, the United States, our European allies, they're looking for more stable sources of these products. It's something that Canada can be providing to the world. We're not doing as good of a job as we should be doing. And so that's where we think actually that, you know, the next government needs to come in with a plan to get those products out of the ground and also use it as a way to build up our foreign policy influence around the world. Um, you know, sometimes as Canadians, we struggle with, you know, how, what, what cards are we going to play abroad to make people listen to us and see us as a serious player? And we think Critical Minerals is actually something that can achieve that goal.
0: That is, uh, that is a very interesting. Now, how concerned is the Chamber about the escalating debt? Because, you know, none of the parties seem to address it.
1: Well, the public uh, credit card is certainly being maxed out uh, at the moment. And so there does need to be a plan to get the deficits down as quickly as possible, but also moving us off a sort of you know subsidy-based uh, you know, growth model that it feels like we've kind of been right now and into a, a sustainable growth model. And so what that means is the whole suite of measures, whether it's helping companies you know, fill their labor market gaps, build infrastructure, reduce the regulatory burden, connectivity so that rural and remote communities can attract jobs to to their areas. These are things that we need to have happen so that it can be private sector-led growth because having this, you know, a government sort of led hiring, uh, you know, process and, you know, subsidy-based economy is not a sustainable model.
0: Mark, I want to thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks very much for having me on.
0: Mark Agnew is Senior Vice President of Policy and Government Relations with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. Now, small business is the engine of the economy, but small business owners felt the impact of the pandemic much more than the larger ones. Jasman Gannett is the Vice President of National Affairs at the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and he joins us now. Jasman, what was the CFIB looking for from the parties for their members? First, I
2: want to... Thank you for having us uh, on uh, the show today. Um, What we uh, want the party to uh, put forward uh, during this campaign is really to put the uh, economy, the state of the economy um, at the uh, uh, forefront of this campaign. And so really the uh, priority for a small business owner is uh, economic recovery and small business recovery. And so it's really important for small business uh, across Canada for small business uh, in uh, Ontario that they understand what the party are proposing uh, when it comes to uh, economic recovery. Uh, And basically, this is the most important aspect of the current campaign that will help them decide, you know, who to (laughs) vote uh, for. You know, I
0: I looked at a a CFIB uh, survey recently, and your membership's not too confident their concerns are going to be addressed in this election. What's the
2: long-term impact of such pessimism? Well, uh, you're right. Um, Less than a quarter... Of our member think that uh, their concern will be uh, uh, um, top issues uh, for uh, political parties to address. Um, You know, it's important to have some sense of uh, stability, to have a sense of understanding uh, what will uh, be. Um, coming in the next couple of months. Uh, and so really what businesses are looking is that sense of predictability, right? So that they have a sense of what are going to be the policy, what are going to be the priorities for uh, the parties. Uh, and uh, hopefully this campaign will be uh, Um, provide that uh, to a small business owner uh, across the country where the past year and a half has been quite difficult, you know, different lockdown measures, uh, uh, you know, businesses forced to shut down, uh, uh, allowed to open again, but only partially. And, you know, with all sorts of restrictions, Uh, A shortage of labor, shortage of cash flow, increasing debt, all that sort of things have made uh, uh, the past year and a half uh, very difficult for a small business owner, all that because of, you know, obviously the pandemic. And so really uh, what uh, needs to happen is uh, some sort of a clear plan for uh, the road ahead for small business uh, in Canada.
0: Ha, has any party uh, in, in their platform attempted to cut red tape? A- and do you have examples of what kind of red tape maybe your membership would like to see cut or eliminated?
2: Yeah, this is um, this is an interesting question because um, often we hear political parties mentioning the importance of uh, cutting uh, red tape. Even the conservative, I believe in their current platform, um uh, uh have something you know along the lines of you know having a minister solely dedicated to you know uh, red tape uh even the ndp uh, uh you know is uh trying to address that in different forms uh in their platform so all parties are are mentioning uh you know red tape being important uh, but I guess we will have to uh, judge uh, the tree by its fruit. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, when, um, uh, when the rubber ate the road, uh, we want to make sure that uh, whoever will uh, win this election will put red tape uh, priority uh, on the Top of its uh, uh, of its list, and 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 there are many um, many red tape concerns uh, that small businesses are facing, um, and really, what it's coming down to at the end of the day, it's the you know, that, that that paperwork and that day-to-day struggle to make sure that you comply to all uh, regulations and what CRA, the Canadian, uh, the Canada Revenue Agency is asking and what other agencies are asking is really to make it easier for businessmen or businesswoman, to make it easier for entrepreneur to run their business on a daily basis. And so really red tape is important and red tape is not just like compliance and all that but it's also making sure that government services are adapted to the need of uh, small businesses. And when small businesses need to have answer from the government, on those compliance uh, uh, on, on different regulation and legislations and so on, that they are able to get answers rapidly in a timely fashion and an answer that is accurate as well. And so uh, really red tape is that big bucket uh, that um, you know, is a, a top priority for, uh, for small business across the country you know, uh, in in, uh, the
0: platform for the NDP, they're calling for a $20 minimum wage. How would that impact CFIB members?
2: Well, um, the Liberal have introduced a $15 minimum wage for all uh, uh, federally regulated uh, 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 workers. The NDP are saying it's not enough, it should be uh, $20. there are multiple there are many impacts uh, for such uh, for such uh, policies uh, obviously uh, it could mean uh, uh, fewer hours uh, for existing employees because you know it's more expensive for businesses so maybe they will decide to offer fewer hours for their current uh, uh, employees Maybe they will decide not to hire new uh, employees because they might think they cannot afford uh, um, paying uh, such a high uh, minimum uh, wage. Um, And so, um, you know, it's a concerning uh, situation uh, and uh, the situation varies from one province to another, Uh, Wages are not the same in Alberta or in Quebec, in Ontario, as they are uh, in uh, other parts of the country. And so, um, you know, you ask a small uh, coffee shop owner to suddenly pay um, all of its employees at least uh, $20 an hour. Uh, I'm wondering how much uh, our coffee will cost us, uh, uh, then. And so it's really uh, something that uh, should be carefully studied uh, before implementing any uh, uh, minimum wage uh, of that uh, uh, of that level. And, and Jasmine, the uh, CFIB
0: wants to see government COVID programs continue. How long do you want them to continue for?
2: Well. Um, until all businesses are fully open, including the businesses in the tourism industry who are counting on open borders to make a living. Um, Remember that those programs are for businesses that are losing money because of the pandemic. So if you're doing good, if you're doing well, if you're growing even, you don't have access to any of that COVID support. Uh, um, But if you're struggling because of government measures, remember a lot of businesses, those businesses who are struggling, they are not struggling because they have made bad business decision. They are struggling because government forced them to shut down, to close, to reduce their uh, operation to help fight COVID. And so, until government decide to open up uh, as it was uh, before the pandemic, like it was before the pandemic, uh, programs should remain uh, in place. And again, you know, those programs are for businesses that are losing money or not, or not where they were uh, prior to the pandemic because of government measures. And it's especially the case with businesses in the art sector, especially mm-hmm. the case for businesses like gyms uh, and those in the hospitality sector. So, um, um, you know, taking away those programs uh, too rapidly, it uh, could be devastating for uh, many small businesses that are still struggling because of those uh, COVID measures in place.
0: Jasmine, yes, I want to thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Jasmine Gonnette is the Vice President of National Affairs for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. One link to the economy that did not seem to be addressed in platforms was a focus on the debt. Ian Lee is with the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University, and he joins us now. And Ian, did you find anything
3: in the platforms that focused specifically on the national debt? Not really. I mean, the focus in this election, and it's been my criticism, has been that the three parties are, are competing on how they're going to redistribute income. There's nothing wrong with having a campaign discussing the redistribution of income. It's very important. But whenever you talk about the redistribution of income, the other half of that coin is, how are you gonna pay for it? The analogy I like to use, if you go into a car lot and you look at all the cars, you kick the tires, and finally you say, okay, I want this car. This this is the car I want to take away. But to the salesman in the car lot, don't talk to me about how I'm going to pay for it. We'll talk about that later. Maybe next year we'll talk about that. Or buying a house and say to Remax or Royal LePage, uh, I want this house, but by the way, I don't want to talk to you about financing or how I'm going to pay for it. That we'll deal with that later. In other words, the revenue side and the spending are two sides of the same coin. So what we're having right now is an election with one hand clapping to use yet another metaphor. You need two hands to clap. And so they're talking about the redistribution, perfectly legitimate, but they're not talking about the how we're gonna how we're gonna pay for it. And that brings us into the debt. Is it going to be through increased taxes? Is it going to be through cuts and austerity to free up money in other areas? Or are we going to borrow? yet more money after already doubling the debt to almost 1.4 trillion are we going to drive it up further to true trillion or more and so this has been the the uh the gap in this election is the failure to discuss that side of the equation do you think that's the
0: the big problem here when we're when we're you know like you said, 1.4 trillion. It's 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 massive. It, this has to be addressed. And yeah. here we are in an election campaign and no one
3: seems to want that's to talk right. about it. That's right. And I know there's lots of people who say, look, you know, don't worry about it. Don't get your knickers in a knot. The government of Canada has a printing press called, that's my phrase, called the Bank of Canada. And it's true. They do. I'm not disputing that. But the, if we take that conclusion and say, well, what they're really saying implicitly is debt does not matter, there's no consequences. I just simply don't believe that. We already tested that theory in, in, the, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, culminating with the largest downsizing in, in Canadian history. I'm not suggesting that the government was or is or will be insolvent, the federal government. I don't believe that. Um, but the point, but because it can't become insolvent, does not mean that there are no consequences. The biggest consequence, and I remember it vividly, I wrote two papers on the downsizing, was that the interest on the debt was growing. It was the elephant in the room that was sucking up all the extra resources. And it got to the point where if my memory serves me well, one third of all the federal government spending was being sucked up on the interest on the debt. So it's not about are we going to is the government going to fail that's not the issue the issue is is that the more the debt grows the more you're reducing your degrees of freedom in the future for another crisis and on top of all that and this is really really important we are moving into a brave new world that's never been experienced before and in human history and that is the aging of the population populations around the world from the beginning of human time have grown and growing and growing and got bigger and bigger. We are now in this, and it's not just Canada. All the European countries are forecast to shrink, decline in the next 30 years. Japan is declining before our eyes. China is going is forecast by serious demographers to shrink. And what that means in plain English for us in Canada, there are, there are good studies out there showing it's gonna take about one and a half points, percentage points annually of GDP. Some people shrug and say, oh, it's the big deal. Well, federal and provincial government revenues are very uh, correlated to the GDP growth rate. When GDP is growing rapidly, revenues gush into the federal treasury and into the provincial governments, which is what we use to pay for all these goodies we want, such as public health care, higher education, uh, environmental responding to climate change, and so on. But when the, when the economy s- slows down, because it's so uh, dependent on the growth rate, revenues decline precipitously to the federal and provincial government, thereby reducing our degrees of freedom. At the very time, because of aging, that we know, and we do know, that healthcare expenditures are going to skyrocket because older people, like me, consume much more per person than younger people. KIHI, the Canadian Institute of Health Information, established by Prime then Prime Minister, Liberal Prime Minister Paul Martin, have excellent statistics on this, showing that the older you are, the more you consume. And with an aging population, people in their 70s consume a lot more than people in their 60s, and people in their 80s consume way more than people in their 70s, because our bodies are wearing out. And so we're going to be facing with skyrocketing expenditures, declining revenues at a time where we're, we're not bringing debts under control, and we're not even having this conversation about the future and the choices that we're making. That's that's the criticism I have.
0: You know, uh, I wonder when you look at the size of our debt, Now, it's going to be uh, not as big as, you know, obviously in the States or, or wherever, but when you've got such a large debt, what kind of impression does that leave of Canada on the
3: world stage? Well, it, you're you're right, and by the way, I know that we've been told repeatedly our we're we're in great shape compared to other countries, but that's only because Finance Canada and the Minister of Finance has done something that I that many people disagree with. That study this, and what they've done is they take the federal debt only as a percentage of GDP, and so it's you know it's it's it is below the OECD average. Uh, The problem with that is that that's not the way the OECD or the IMF or economists or analysts compute it. You compute the total government indebtedness as a percentage of GDP. That means federal, provincial, and municipal. And the reason for that, there's two reasons. Number one, there is only one taxpayer. We don't have federal taxpayers separately, another group over there called provincial taxpayers. And the second reason is that the federal government is truly the lender of last resort, and for those who think that's just a theory or academic, you know, talk, uh, we saw this proved in the last 12 months in Canada, Newfoundland and Labrador became uh, not insolvent, but they they were not able to meet their payments as they became due. Now we can call that insolvency. We can call it whatever we want. They were bailed out by the Bank of Canada stepping in under the guise of pandemic relief and buying the bonds every month from Newfoundland and Labrador. It is well understood in this country that if, and there are other provinces in very bad shape, New Brunswick is in very bad shape, Manitoba, that if a premier goes up to that microphone, no matter who is in power in Ottawa, federal, doesn't matter if it's liberal, NDP, green, whatever, that if a a, a premier goes to the microphone and says, look, Canada, we're broke, we can't borrow any more money, the bond markets won't buy our bonds and we can't pay our nurses, we can't pay our doctors, we can't pay our teachers, please help. No prime minister is gonna say no, we know that. So the federal government is has implicitly, not legally, but implicitly co-signed or back guarantees or backstops the debts of all the provinces who in turn backstop the debts of the municipality. Z. So therefore, the only proper way, and that's what the OECD logic is and the IMF logic is, you look at the total uh, government debt. When you do that, we're right in the middle. We're not virtuous. We're not better than everybody else. We're at about 110%. And that's right in the middle of the, for example, the G7 countries. So that nonsense that, oh, well, we're way better off and we got oodles of room left to borrow is not sustained when you do a proper accounting, a proper methodology, used by the international bodies such as IMF and OECD, then we're not anywhere near as in good shape. I'm not suggesting that we're Italy. I'm not. They're the outlier. But we are not at the we're not best in the pack either. We're in the middle. What's the best path forward for Canada to to reduce its debt? Um, I'm going to sound like Don Drummond, uh, but I've been saying this on my own independently, I don't, I'm going to give full credit to Don Drummond, but I do want you to know that I have been arguing this too, I just don't have his platform, and I admire him enormously, and, and for that matter, uh, David, um, uh, the former governor of the bank, had, David Dodge, we've got to grow the economy. If, if, you, if we're not going to cut and there no, seems to be no appetite for austerity or downsizing, um, I, I actually think that there's when you're spending half a tr- upwards of a half a trillion a year, there's got, I'm not going to use waste and fraud and abuse. I'm just simply going to say there's got to be some programs in there that are obsolete, that don't work anymore, and there's nothing wrong with pruning, just like you prune your garden you know, you prune your roses. I'm not a rose grower, but apparently people prune their roses, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and you prune your garden of weeds. Well, there's, I'm sure in a half a trillion dollars, there's some weeds growing in there that maybe we don't want to be funding. So there's, we could go that route, but uh, I think the larger solution is, is growth. And uh, David Dodge and Don Drummond talk about increasing our productivity, which is anemic uh, compared to, uh, especially the United States, our largest partner but without even talking about productivity, people's eyes glaze over when you talk about that, how about just boosting the the GDP growth rate in the economy? And, And to do that, we've got to stop, and this is controversial, I realize that, okay? But we've got to stop saying, well, this sector of the economy, they're very bad, you know, oil and gas, oh, no, no, oh, pipelines, no, no, they're bad. Timber come, oh, they cut down trees. No, no, no we got to take them off. We've got to stop uh, taking off sectors of the economy saying, well, look, we can't look to them for growth. We don't want them to grow. When we c- become that fussy and that th- what we're doing is we're further reducing the growth of the economy. And the economy, we need growth to generate the jobs, to generate the tax revenues flowing into the federal government and the provincial governments to pay for the goodies, and to pay down the debt. So, I actually think that the solution, uh, I'm not advocating, as you can tell, I'm not really advocating austerity, uh, other than just strategic pruning, but I really think the the long-term solution is going to be we have to grow the economy at a better rate than we're doing. And in that regard, and uh, um, our capital investment, business capital investment has been declining for five years in a very major way. Jack, Jack Mintz has talked about this in his op-eds. So has David Dodge. So has so Don Drummond. And people can say, well, who cares about capital investment? Capital investment is the single most important indicator. Think of it as the a barometer in the weather, the single most important indicator of future growth. I had Philip cross into my class, the former very senior statistician, came to my class about three, four years ago. This is long before the pandemic. And he said, look, if you wanna know where's an economy going in any country, he says, go look up business capital investment. And then he says, there's a lag of three to four years from the time you spend the money to the time it shows up in the growth rate. But he says, "It's it's a leading indicator and our capital investment is going down, down, down in Canada. And what's happening is people that control large pools of wealth, including the pension funds, are increasingly investing outside of Canada. They're voting with their feet, with their wallet, with their money, because what they're saying is that there's better investment opportunities outside of Canada than inside Canada. So we've got to turn that around and create a more positive climate. So these people, these pools of capital will invest in Canada, which will then generate future economic growth. And we have not done that. And just so you don't think I'm flying at 50,000 feet and talking in the clouds, mm. I'll be very concrete because I'm a tenured professor and I don't consult anybody, so I can say something and, and, and make some people really angry. We've been demonizing pharmaceutical companies uh, and they yet they invest billions and billions of dollars put price controls on their products, people say, what's wrong with that? The Germans don't do that. The Swiss don't do that. The French don't do that. The UK doesn't do that. So guess where pharmaceutical investment in the billions and billions of dollars is going? To Canada? You bet not. You are wrong. It's not coming here. It's going to those countries because it's a more friendly investment climate. Uh, You know, we've demonized oil and gas companies. We've demonized pipelines. Now we're demonizing banks. We've got to stop demonizing the, the very foundations of our future. These companies, and I don't consult to any of these companies. I don't have any financial investments in these companies, except possibly through the Canada Pension Plan, which I don't control, or through my company, plan, uh, University Pension Plan, of which I am not involved in. They may be investing in them, but these are the companies that invest in our future by investing in capital, meaning new plants, new investments, and so forth. And yet, here we are. These are very large sectors of any economy, and yet we've been demonized. Them one by one. And what are we saying to those businesses? Don't come to Canada. We don't like you. Go away. And -hmm. they are. Guess what? They're listening. That's why capital investment's going down and they're going somewhere else. And so Germany is getting the benefit. And so Switzerland's getting the benefit. And France. And these are not, you know, far right wing countries. These are very progressive countries in Europe and they're yeah. getting the capital investment that we should be getting but we b- demonize these industries and these sectors these companies and so they're saying it's not comfortable it's it, this is it looks like they're coming after us if we invest in in Canada so we'll go t- we'll go to the UK they want us more we'll go to France we'll go to Germany we'll go to the US and and that to me is not being discussed and that to me is the solution if we when i say the solution it's it's a major part of the solution uh, we've got to develop more economic growth and to do that we've got to welcome capital investment domestic and foreign if we want to grow the economy or we can as my late mother used to tell me you can cut off your nose despite your face and right now for the last several years we've been cutting off our nose every day despite our face to be holier than thou and to demonize those bad, bad, bad pharmaceuticals and those bad, bad banks and those bad, bad oil companies. And so we're declaring large swaths of the economy. Uh, We're really saying, don't come here, go somewhere else. And they are. And and so our economy's growth is anemic and -hmm. we're facing an aging future. So we are going, I, I believe we're going in the wrong direction. All right. Ian, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks very much for inviting me.
0: Ian Lee is with the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. Our unpublished.vote question asks, which party do you feel has the best plan to get the economy back on track? The Liberals, the Conservatives, the NDP, the Green Party, or the People's Party of Canada? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank our guests today, Mark Agnew of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, Yasmin Gunnett of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and Ian Lee, at the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. And I want to thank you for watching the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.